up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up. Oh, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Oh, get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave.
right, all right, amen. Well, church, I'm excited to uh, be out here with you again. I got to be honest, though, um, when the sound went off again, I thought there's a conspiracy happening because the last time I did this, that happened, and I thought someone's messing with me. But it's all good. It came back on, and I'm thankful, right? All right, very good. Anyways, I'm excited to be out here. I actually got quite a bit of heads up that I was going to be able to preach this service. So I've been thinking about this one for a while, and I'm excited to share with you uh, what the Lord's been teaching me. And honestly, that's kind of what tonight's message is going to be. I'm going to share with you kind of where I'm at in my walk with God right now, what he's showing me, because I think it's going to help you too. And that's what I would love to do. And why do I want to do that? Because we have approached the time of the year when we're going to spend a lot of time around our family that maybe we don't normally spend time around. And it can be, and for some of you, it is very difficult, (laughs) right? Because we get around our family and every family has that one person, you know, who doesn't believe we landed on the moon. And there's the art, you know what I'm talking about? You've got that one family member who believes they've been abducted by aliens. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got that one, you get where I'm going with this. There's always, there's always some confrontation. And that's just the fun confrontation. Then you get into some deeper stuff like, like political beliefs or medical beliefs or theological beliefs. And it can be a very tense place. And here's some stuff I've learned to kind of help me realize it's not that big of a deal. The first thing is this, I just remind myself that I'm the problem. You start there and you're going to be really good. Because here's one thing I've learned in my 35 years of living is that every time I'm frustrated with someone else, they're also frustrated with me. And it's not because they're frustrated with themselves. You track your one with me. Like there's, it's because we're two different people and we, we don't see eye to eye. And so both of us are equally frustrated. So if I just stop and go as mad as I might be right now that they don't believe in Elvis, you know, or that Elvis still lives, they're just as mad that I believe we landed on the moon. You know what I'm saying? It goes both ways. That'll help you. Anyways, moving beyond that, I really, I want to share with you what I learned about thankfulness. And I know that this can be really cliche, but I'm telling you, what I just found out in the last couple of weeks is changed the way I view thankfulness in the scriptures for the better, and I think that it will help you too. But to really be able to understand it, we have to take a little bit of a dive into the culture that Jesus was in. Because the culture of Jesus and when Jesus walked the earth, it was different than the culture we have here in America. And when we can understand a little bit of the differences, that will help us to really understand what the Bible is talking about, what Scripture is talking about when it talks about being thankful. And, and fair warning here, I'm not a genius. I didn't come up with this all by myself. Uh, the first little segment here about the culture that Jesus grew up in came from a book that I'm reading. It's a, it's a theological study I'm doing. The book is called Jesus and the Gospels by Craig Bloomberg, and it really helped me understand what I'm about to share with you, and then we'll dive into some scriptures. So the culture Jesus would have grew up in would have been an honor-shame culture. Okay? And one way that this honor-shame culture would have played out in everyday life is if I did something nice for someone, in an honor-shame culture, you would return the favor because that would maintain your honor. And to not return the favor would bring you shame. Right? And in Jesus' culture, this honor-shame culture, you weren't really considered an honorable person or a shameful person based on your social status, 
based on your wealth or anything like that. It really had a lot more to do with your character and how you treated people. You could be the poorest of poor, but if you treated people right, you would have great honor. And you could be super wealthy, but if you treated people wrong, you would have no honor. Enter the tax collectors. Super wealthy, not honorable people. You, you tracking with me? So you had this, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and to not do so would either uh, would bring shame on you, and to maintain it would, to, would be to continue to build that honor. Something of interest for us tonight, though, is that in such a culture of honor, shame, people didn't really say thank you. They would just return the favor. Thanking someone could imply that you were not going to do anything for that person, and that would end the mutual give-and-take relationship between the two. Um, so you basically, I, I want you to grab a hold of this. You have two basic options in the Bible, in the New Testament times, when it talks about giving thanks. You need to understand this mindset. That thank you was only used when one of two options weren't going to happen. Uh, if you knew I already earned it, like I did something for you, and now you've returned the favor, so there's there's no need to say thank you, right? We're just give and take. Scratch my back, I scratch your back. So there's no thank you being said. The other option in which you would say thank you is if you knew somebody did something for you that you could never repay them for. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Catch that. You would say thank you if you knew someone had done something for you and you had no ability to repay them. Now, this has really challenged my view of what the scriptures talk about when it says to be thankful and to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because I'm not saying thank you to God to end a mutual you scratch my back, I scratch your back relationship. Because I can't do anything for him. Hear, hear me now. He does everything for me. Everything I have is from him. Right? The breath that I have, the gifts that I have. Everything that I do is honestly, it's just an offering back to the one who gave it all to me in the first place. So thankfulness is a way for us as Christians to acknowledge, God, I cannot repay what you have done. The only option I have is to be thankful. You track. I just, this is so good. So let's look at Luke 17. If you have that mindset, honor, shame, and this is how what Jesus does brings freedom. I love that Luke's gospel, Luke, in my mind, Luke is presenting Jesus as a rescuer. Everything I read in Luke, Jesus is trying to rescue us from something. And what I hopefully want to show you tonight is Jesus is rescuing us from this honor, shame, culture, cycle thing where I don't have to, it's like this, if I, and I love David. David loves me. I'm David's favorite person other than his family. If you didn't know that, now you do. But here's what Jesus is trying to do. And I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I want you to get excited about thankfulness. If David comes to me and he does something nice for me, let's say he builds me a barn. It's random. and Because he, he knew that I wanted one and I didn't have the means to do it. What Jesus is rescuing me from is not being able to just receive the goodness of David without feeling obligated to return it. He's rescuing David from giving something nice and then maintaining an expectation that I owe him something. Because then he can become bitter if I don't 
give back. Are you tracking with me? Jesus is rescuing us from something. And we all know that feeling of, man, somebody just did something so good to me, and now I feel indebted to them. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not how we operate in my kingdom, because that's not how your father is towards you. You're tracking with, it's a rescue operation. So I'm able to receive the goodness of others because it's okay to just receive and to be thankful and to know that I don't have to try to scratch your back back. And it's okay for you to receive and to just be thankful and to know it's a freedom that we have. And I, I just love that. So in Luke 17, we get this story. I'm telling you what, I just, I love it. I love it. Luke 17, if you don't use bookmarks like me, you're good. All right, Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Let's just, for a moment, let's all realize they were all healed. Says they went and they were cleansed. They all got healed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And look at this little extra note. And he was a Samaritan. If you don't know, and maybe you don't know, and that's okay if you don't, Samaritans were like descended from Israel, but they were like, you know, the redheaded stepchild of the family. They were the outsiders. In fact, there was some very serious discrimination, like racial tension between Jewish people and the Samaritan people. Like they did not like each other at all. And yet Luke wants us to know that out of the 10 that were healed, the only one that came back to thank God was the Samaritan. Hmm. Why would he want us to know this? Verse 17, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Which is obviously a rhetorical question because he's Jesus and he knows that they all were. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, if we put back into our brain... The culture in which Jesus is immersed in, this honor-shame culture, this you scratch my back, I scratch yours, this culture in which saying thank you wasn't really a common thing, and, and oftentimes it was just in situations where you knew you earned what you got, or you knew you could never earn what you got, and you could never repay the person for what they did to you. And now we look at this story, and 10 lepers are healed, and one comes back, and the one who comes back is a foreigner, and we've got this, this culture in our brain, and we're going now, wait a minute, is the one who's on the outside the only one that realized what he got he couldn't earn, and he could never repay God for, so he came back to say thank you? Why didn't any of the other nine come back? Is it possible that because they were insiders in God's kingdom that they felt they deserved what they got and had no need to come and express gratitude? Maybe they had tithed enough, given enough to the poor, you know? Whatever other good deeds they, you know, were ceremonially clean all the time. I don't know, whatever they might be. Did they feel like in some way they had earned what 
they got. And so there was no need to say thanks. Or, or did they fall into the other error of thinking that somehow, some way they could repay Jesus? See, I think it's interesting that Luke points out the Samaritan and Jesus doubles down on it. He's like, this guy's a foreigner. And it makes me think, I'm an insider with Jesus. I'm on the inside now. Why? Because through my faith in Jesus Christ, I've become a son of God. I'm on the inside loop now. And does that mean that in my heart, I might be prone to thinking I earn what I get from God? And so I lose my heart of thankfulness. You tracking with me? Man, I don't want to lose my gratitude towards my heavenly father. And Jesus commends the one who comes back and says thank you. And in that culture to say thank you is an acknowledgement of I can't do anything for you except say, say thank you for what you've done for me. And Jesus says that's where it's at. He's teaching us that this is our position with our Heavenly Father, that everything we're receiving is a gift that we cannot earn and we cannot repay Him for. Our only option with our Heavenly Father is to be thankful. And I find this incredibly freeing because in a, in a relationship with my Heavenly Father where everything He does is a free gift to me, everything I do for Him can be based purely out of love. I'm not obligated to do this for him. I do it because I love him. Why? Because he loves me. Amen. I'm not trying to pay him back. I can't pay him back. Right. But I can love him. Amen. Right? Yeah. I'm telling you, I just think it's so good. Nothing I ever do for God can even come close to all that God has done for me. Everything I have is a gift of God's grace. Just do this one. Just take a deep breath real quick. I think this is helpful. Just take a deep breath. God gave that to you. Mm. Do it again. Just it's what the Lord's teaching me right now. To live in the moment. Because the second thing with thankfulness is time, and we're going to get to time in just a minute. We're going to see how the two are connected, and when you combine time with thankfulness, you get a powerful one-two punch knockout combination, and it's really good. Let's keep going, though. We are taught by Jesus over and over again to treat others the way our Heavenly Father treats us. Going back to my David example, he's rescuing us from lives where we do something for other people and have false expectations of what they'll do in return. We shouldn't live that way, but we should also live generous because our Heavenly Father is generous towards us, and we are to become like him. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, the famous Sermon on the Mount. And again, keep this honor-shame culture in your mind. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If you don't, you lose your honor. But as long as we keep the cycle up, as long as we keep the rat race up of trying to repay each other, then we can maintain. And Jesus is going to change all of this. In Matthew 5, verses 38, let's read this together. You've heard it many times, but let's read it. You have heard it said... Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them 
two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's keep going. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is Jesus explaining to us? Our heavenly Father is perfect because he's constantly giving, even when people are taking. This is radical stuff. He says, if somebody tries to take your shirt or your jacket, give them your shirt too. What? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. I know, but that's what your heavenly father's like. And then I stop and I go, oh man, how many times have I tried to steal God's jacket? You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus is getting in our heads here a little bit. He's challenging us. There's a new way to live life. It's a rescued way. It's a way where we say, I can be very generous. I can give. Why? Because everything I have is a gift. And if everything I have is a gift, then I can live open-handed because the giver's not going to stop giving. Are you tracking with me? Now, where does time play in? Actually, before we do that, a couple of verses. Turn in, turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3.15. Just for a thought experiment, let's look at a couple of scriptures that talk about thankfulness, and we'll keep in mind this whole, I can't repay it, which is why it's so powerful. Colossians 3, 15, Paul writing to the church, and he says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace, and be thankful. Be thankful. Thankful for what? He's given me his peace. I didn't earn it. I can't repay him for it, but I have peace. Man, having peace in a world like ours right now, before it's made new, that is a rare gift of God's grace. And he gives it to us. And, and Paul wants the church to know, when you've got that peace, be thankful. Because you didn't earn it, and you can't give him anything back for it. So just be thankful. Colossians 4, verse 2. Paul's not done with them yet. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Did you know that thankfulness is supposed to be part of your devotion to God? Why is that so powerful? Because it means every day I'm walking in this place of knowing everything I have is a gift of God's grace, so all I can do is thank him. I don't have to earn it. I'm not trying to impress him. I'm not trying to bargain with him, be like, God, if I just, you know, if I witness to 15 people today, just give me a little more peace. No, I'm not, I'm not earning anything from him. He gives. Thankfulness should be part of our devotion as Christians, reminding ourselves constantly that everything I have is a gift of his grace and all I can do in return is be thankful. Hebrews 12, I hope you guys are okay. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, this gets so good. It says, therefore, Mm, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Did you know that thankfulness is part of your worship? 
when we come to the place where I go, I can't earn anything from God. I don't deserve anything that he gives me. I could never repay what he's done for me. And so I'm just going to be thankful. That's part of your acceptable and pleasing worship to him. It's like God gets excited when we realize, I don't have to do anything to get your goodness. It's just running after me. I'm excited about First Corinthians chapter 10. And then we're going to move on to time. Because I'm running out of time. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16. Look at what it says. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? When we take communion and we receive the blood of Jesus, Paul says that's the cup of thanksgiving. Why? Because I didn't earn what he did on that cross. And I could never repay him for what he did on that cross. And so when I come to communion and I receive of the blood of Christ, the only thing I can do is be thankful. You guys are getting it. I love it. It's the cup of thanksgiving. It's not the cup of I earned it. It's not the cup of I deserved it. It's not the cup of I begged him enough for it. It's the cup of thanksgiving because I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet he still gives it to me. God is so good. Take another deep breath. It's God's grace. Time. Time's our second, second punch in this one-two combo. Psalms 90 verse 12, the Lord's teaching me to pray this every day, and I want to encourage you to join with me in this, because I think it's really, really helpful. Psalms 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How is this going to change my life? Let's think about it for a minute. The first part of this verse is teaching us to acknowledge and to ask the Lord to keep us in remembrance of the fact that I am a finite person. Like, I'm going to die. And I don't know when. And I hope it's many, many years from now, but I don't know that. I remember when I was in middle school, I lived in Tennessee at the time, and we were at middle school, and, and I remember the story of this girl who was in middle school at the time, and she walked out of the school, and she went and she sat down under a tree, and she was like reading a book or studying or something like that, just waiting for her parents to come and pick her up. And as she sat there, mind you, in middle school, as she sat there under that tree, she had a brain aneurysm, and she died. And it's a long time ago, but if memory serves me correctly, she sat under that tree for like 30 minutes to an hour before anyone even realized that she had died in middle school. People, I'm, I'm not promised tomorrow. Take a deep breath. It's God's grace. How does me knowing that I'm limited help me to live in wisdom and to be thankful? If I knew that tonight I'd go home and it would be the last night that I would be alive, I might be a little more interested 
and staying up with my children just a little bit later, even though I'm ready for them to go to bed. I might have a little more grace with them. If I knew that tonight was going to be like my last night, and I go home and my wife wants to go on that walk because the air is brisk, I don't like walks. But if I knew tonight was going to be my last night, I don't think I'd be bothered by the request. You tracking with me? Teach me, Lord, to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. If I knew that I was going to go home tonight and lay my head on my pillow and I would breathe my last breath, whoever insulted me today really wouldn't bother me that much. Because why does it matter? <laughs> Teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. If I knew that I was going to take my last breath today, I'd get over whatever the grievance was with my relative. And I'd call them and tell them that I love them. Because whatever's going on, it's not really that big of a deal if tonight I'm going to die. If, if tonight I knew I was going to take my last breath, I really wouldn't care if my, my family member voted opposite of me. It wouldn't matter. In fact, if I knew I was going to die, I wouldn't even bring it up. Because it don't matter. You're seeing how the wisdom of God can change your life for the better. God's trying to rescue us. Teach me to number my days so that it may gain a heart of wisdom. Couple that with thanksgiving. I don't know when my time's going to come, but I know that I have this moment right now. What do I want to do with it? And this isn't an excuse, by the way, to like not work a job. <laughs> be like, I might die tonight. And the last thing, no, 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 that goes against what the Bible teaches us too. Paul says, hey, make, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you know, to mind your own business. Work hard with your hands and gain the respect of outsiders. Like, so don't go home and be like, I'm quitting my job, honey. We're just going to go on walks till we die. Like, don't do that. What I'm saying is, if I know that tonight I might die, I might not take work home with me. I might just work the hours I'm paid to work, and I might go spend that time with my family. Are you tracking with me? See how this can change your life, how it can teach you to be grateful and thankful and to appreciate the moments that you have with people because you don't know what your last moment's going to be. In James chapter 4, is this helping anybody? I hope so. In James chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 13. Listen to what James says to us. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows how or knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. What is James teaching us? Live for today. Live in today. Live fully in this day. If you have the opportunity to do good for someone, don't wait till tomorrow. He says, if that's your plan, you're actually arrogantly boasting. That's kind of crazy. That's like an attack, you know? Like, I could go play Legos with my son right now, or I can say, son, I'll do that with you tomorrow. And he's like, he's like Tim, you don't even know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. Go play Legos with that kid. You're tracking with me. I don't know what I've got. 
Teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. I want to live for what matters. Not get caught up in all this petty stuff. Jesus has something to teach us about this too. This is the last scripture I'm going to have you turn to. Matthew chapter 6. This is where the Lord's taking me. I'm just, I hope it's helping you. This is where God's, he's showing me this, teaching me this. Right around Thanksgiving. I love it. In Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, Jesus teaches us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Church, that's a word. Like that's a prophetic word from Jesus for you right now. Don't worry about your life. But you don't know what's going on. I don't, but Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he still said that. Don't worry about it. Why? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, aren't you more valuable than they are? Can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? Teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. What good is it going to do me to worry if in an hour I'm going to die? No, I want to live in the moment. I want to soak up every moment I can with my wife and my kids and my loved ones and my friends. You see in this, there's wisdom here for us if we'll grab it. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Why? Now, I want to I focus right here for a minute because this sounds like earning something. It's not. It's learning how to live in something that God's doing. And there's a difference. He's not saying if you'll seek first, then God will reward you. He's saying if we'll actually do it his way, we'll find the abundant life that he's giving us. I'm not earning it. Why? He, Luke says it a little bit differently. It's the, same, it's the same part of the message, but he, he has a little, he's got a little extra nugget in there that just really is, is super good for me. It's in Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. You don't have to turn there, but it's the same. It's Jesus talking about not worrying. You can look it up later. Verse 32, it's, Jesus says this, do not be afraid, little flock. We're just little sheep to God. I mean, we're just little, we're like a little flock of sheep that God's like trying to protect and lead us to provision. You know what I'm saying? Sheep don't earn the food they eat. They're just led to it. Are you tracking with church? We're just sheep being led to the good life. We're not earning it from God. He's just leading us to where it's at. And all we got to do is follow him. Not get distracted. You know, some sheep, they wander away. But the good news is, even if you lose sight of it, he's going to come chase you down. Because that's who he is. He's a good father. All we can do is just be thankful. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been, say this word with me, pleased. He's been pleased to give you his kingdom, to give it to you. Not, not, he's not pleased to watch you earn it. He's not pleased to watch you try to pay him back for what he's given. He's pleased to give. 
And so what's my response to that goodness? I'm thankful. I'm thankful because I can't earn it, and I don't deserve it, and I can't repay it. The only option I have left is to just be thankful, which is part of my devotion, and it's part of my worship, to just be thankful. God is so good to us, church. When we live life remembering our days are numbered, and with thankful hearts for every gift of grace that God gives us, we can approach even difficult situations with a different grace and humility. If I knew I was going to die tonight, I can be a lot more humble. Because it doesn't matter. I got nothing to be prideful about. I'm going to die. There's a wisdom in this. In the end, the Lord's teaching me to just love. I just want to love people well. Which makes a lot of sense because Jesus said that if we just love God and love others, we'll fulfill all the law of God, right? So just the Lord, just love people. Love me. Love people. Be thankful. Remember, you're finite. You cannot do it all. Tim, you can't do it all, so quit trying. Just be thankful for the moments that you got and live in each moment. Planning for 20 years from now doesn't matter if I die in three days. But what I do today does matter. That was what James was getting to. If I can do something good today, I should do it today because I don't know that I'll have tomorrow. You track me. So I want to love because God is love and love never fails. And for that, I am thankful. Thankful. Church, be thankful this weekend. As you get with your family, I want you to hear my heart. If you have a contentious family and you love each other enough to still get together, but it's contentious, can I just encourage you, just go in there with a thankful heart that you get another moment with them. If you'll go in thankful that you have a moment with them, it'll really change the atmosphere. Because, you know, I don't need to get into this debate about Elvis. You're tracking, like, I don't need it. I'm just thankful that I get to be with you. And that'll change people. Why do I know that? Because it changes us towards God. God didn't show up and say, hey, you know what? I'm really annoyed with all your sin <laughs> and those crazy ideas you have. Can you knock that off so that we can have some good time? No, God just comes in. And he's like, all right, I'm going to just slowly walk with you here. We'll get you there someday. You know, just come on. And he just keeps loving. He's a good shepherd. He's leading me to provision. He's leading me to the good life. And he's letting me choose to follow. If I want to wander off for a minute, he'll let me and he'll come grab me. You know, but he's going to keep leading me back. Just let's be like Jesus and choose to love and be thankful for the moments that we get with our family. And let's see what God can do in our family if we show up just thankful to have this moment with them. Amen. I hope that helps you this Thanksgiving. I'm going to pray over all of you and then we're going to dismiss. All right. Is that good? Thumbs up. All right, I got like three thumbs up. That's good. All right, Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are rescuing us, that you are a good God, that you give us your kingdom. It's your good pleasure to give us your kingdom. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't even beg it from you. You just give because that's who you are. Lord, teach us to be thankful. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, I pray for every family gathering that's going to happen this Thanksgiving where it's usually contentious and stressful. I pray the peace of God just reigns over every one of those homes. Father, I pray that love would reign supreme in those families. God, I pray that we would just be thankful for the moments that we have and that the only thing we express is love. And Father, I pray that you would work miracles in that. 
You got to pray for some of those families that forgiveness needs to happen because forgiveness is important. I pray that it happens. And I pray those of us that are in faith would learn to just overlook an offense. That we would just choose to love. Why? Because we know our days are numbered and we're going to live in wisdom. Help us, Father, to have your peace, to have your joy. God, be with every one of our families this weekend and may the turkey be just absolutely delicious in every home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Church, we love you so much. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with all your family and friends, and we will see you right back here Sunday morning. Be blessed.